everybody welcome to the 57th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rainy rip city and i got my man sage man i i, I honestly thought you'd be more bummed out it was actually a, a, a an exciting and welcoming intro I, i'm i'm pretty happy with uh, how we started this podcast because i know deep inside you're kind of bummed out the blazers have made me dead inside Oh, don't say that. I mean, the the Ducks sucking, the Niners sucking, your Atlanta Braves being atrociously bad. I mean, 2016 has just been trash. It's been trash. 2016 for... is garbage. I, Let's I, kick this shit to the curb ASAP. We started this in 2015, right? Yes. So, yeah, this 2016 was just us hanging out and doing podcasts we initially started it in 15 so i mean this has really been the saving grace for 2016 for me is this podcast it has been one of the few bright spots i i will completely admit to that but if you're a trailblazer fan there's there's no such thing as a good loss i know people are trying to be encouraged over the fact that portland um fought hard um and did drop a 121-120 contest to the Los Angeles Clippers uh, actually just a few short minutes ago at the Staples Center. And we'll dive into that game. But yes, the Blazers fought hard, and I think we can appreciate their resiliency, especially after what happened on this road trip. But to me, the bottom line remains, we are 1-4 in in back-to-back road trips. Uh, That cannot happen. We are now... 12 and 14 on the season we're really just hanging on to that eighth spot because the remaining seven teams out west are just terrible yeah, they don't uh, I, want don't, it. I don't see any way that dallas minnesota phoenix new orleans denver or the lakers or the kings even challenge us so if you're a blazer fan this is a worst nightmare type of stuff right here the fact that we are playing sub 500 ball could get into the playoffs sub 500 and then you have a date with either the Warriors or the Spurs we do not want that you either have to get a six seed or above or let's let's take our chances at the lottery I've said this before that it's never too early to talk draft and I would take my 0.1% chance at moving into the top three of the lottery than having to endure four to five games of just brutal beatdowns against the Warriors or the Spurs because Let's be honest, that's probably what's going to happen. I do not want another Memphis playoff series circa 2015. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with this team. I think that's the million-dollar question out there in Rip City. We have 90% of our minutes returned from last year, the most of any 30 NBA teams. We even got better defensively by adding Festus Azili, who has not played yet this year. But Evan Turner has, and he is an upgrade defensively. Yet Portland still ranks... Um, as one of the top three worst teams in the NBA. And there's something not adding up for me. I know we've talked a lot on this podcast about what to watch for, what to look um, specifically at while watching games. Um, Sage, I have my thoughts on why the defense is so bad, but I kind of want to get yours first. It starts with the bad scheme, and then it 
I don't think there's trust. I don't think there's that if I help, my guy will be helped on. So I think it starts with a bad scheme and then gets piled on with a lack of trust that it seem, uh, that our team seems to have with one another. And then it's just basic stuff like closing out and putting your hands up on defense. But I, I think it initially, I think the major parts are that the scheme is just bad and uh, there's no trust or communication. Scheme is bad. We've discussed this probably too much to the point where everybody already knows what we're going to say next. So I will take your word for that, that yes, the scheme is awful. To me, I have paid a close eye to the Blazers on defense, and it's things that they've probably done for a while now, but just because it has been so um, porous that you're really training your eye to watch certain things, this team is not disciplined one bit on defense. Absolutely not, man. You watch them, and they will fall for probably a pump fake eight out of every ten times, and it killed us with Al Jefferson. Um, in the Indiana Pacers, they got a massive and one out of it late in the fourth quarter that really sealed that game. Uh, we just do it every single time, especially on the perimeter, trying to close out. We do not close out with any sort of knowledge of what we're going to do. I think if you want to put it into basketball terms, we close out is the, is the is kind of like the the equal to the jump pass. You jump in the air and you don't know what the hell you're going to do. We run at defenders and we don't know if we're going to stop or if we're going to keep going or if we're going to jump at them. We have no idea. We're not thinking one or two moves ahead, and it's really killing us on the defensive end. Uh, another thing we don't do, we don't put our hands up on defense, really at all, especially our bigs. It's a really bad habit that we've um, grown accustomed to doing. And then our transition defense might be the worst I've ever seen in my 27 years of watching Blazer basketball, and I watched a team led by Sebastian Telfair uh, Juan Dixon and Hassan Jin. This is the worst transition defense I have ever seen. They do not know who to pick up in transition. There's no communication. Uh, you've got guys running into the same player, leaving a guy wide open under the basket. Uh, they're just not picking picking anybody up. They're not stopping the ball. And teams are going right at us. You look at Giannis in that Bucks game. He was just a man-child. Like looking like LeBron James because he knew nobody was going to pick him up and he had the freakish athleticism just to step through the defense and, and lay it up and in. Uh, it's these things that make Portland so vulnerable every time they step out on the court because they're not going to consistently win games unless they can get stops on, on, a, on a consistent basis. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. You, we scored 120 points tonight and still lost the game. We were up 20 points against the Pacers and still lost the game. We were up 13 points against the most offensively challenged team in the entire NBA with only two healthy starters in the Memphis Grizzlies and blew that lead in five minutes. There are some serious issues in Portland, and I'm not certain they're going to figure it out right now. We are 26 games into the season. There's only 56 left to go. Yes, we're in the eighth seed right now, but we are already four games back in the loss column of the Utah Jazz. We are seven games back in the loss column of the third seed Los Angeles Clippers. We are losing serious ground on teams that we had aspirations of being with it where they're at right now. Um, to say this season is a disappointment is a massive understatement. Uh, our salary last year was, oh, one of the worst in the league. We're going to play scrappy. We're going to play with that chip on our shoulder. 
that script has been flipped. We now have the second highest payroll and there is no chip being played with. We are not playing with any sort of urgency. We're not playing like those underdogs. And Sage, we're just not talented enough to win without that dog mentality that we had last year. So do you think it's on the players for not putting their hands up? Or are you just blaming it 100? I think it's equal blame on the staff and the players. I mean, Terry Stotts can't tell these players who were cast off from their old teams, you got to play like a dog when they're getting 10, 12, 14, 16 million dollars a year now because they don't have that hunger inside of them. So I I can't just rail on Stotts for being a bad defensive coach. It, It has to be on the players. And I see a lot of things that just worry me so much about this team's overall IQ on defense and in transition that just makes me absolutely sick. I think you're right. As much as it would be easy to put the blame on the players for getting big fat paychecks in the offseason or to blame Stotts for having a pretty uh, vanilla scheme, it's 50-50. I think they need to spend more time whenever they do get practice practice time on defense. I, I think players should know the fundamentals of closing out and, and not falling for pump fakes. I, I I look at a team like the Memphis Grizzlies and you got David Fisdale, who is a rookie coach, and they're blowing out the Warriors. They're coming back and scrapping against us. They are playing with a mash unit literally for the second year in a row, but they're they're still playing their asses off. And you can really only tip your hat and just wish your team played like that as well. I'm not saying Portland's not giving 100%, but there's giving 100% and then there's just playing like your life depends on it. Right now, the Grizzlies are, the Trailblazers aren't. And back to your original point, why you can't entirely blame Stotts. During that run in Memphis, we were up five points. They had an out-of-bounds play. Terry Stotts puts in Mason Plumlee and specifically says, do not leave Mark Gasol. Yelled at it repeatedly. What did Mason Plumlee do? He went back into the paint. He left Mark Gasol wide open off of an inbounds pass. And he canned the three, put them within two. Um, we all know how that story unfolds. Memphis fought back for, you know, a really improbable victory, uh, 88-86, a game the Trailblazers had no business losing. And Sage, we thought that game was the worst loss of the year. Well, the Blazers had something else up up their sleeves for us on Saturday night when they came out red hot, and they do this quite a bit. Um, they'll get going. I believe Dame had 19 points in the first quarter, just was red hot, um, pulling up from the logo. Uh, get into the basket at will. But I was telling Olga as I was watching this game, I don't really have a good feeling about this. We're up 20 points, but we're letting them score the ball at will. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to cool down, but they are still getting theirs, and it's going to even out. And I said the same thing tonight. Um, she's like, why is that happening? Um, and I'm like, well, you look at the shot that CJ just made or Dame just made, and it was a tough pull-up jumper pretty much off the dribble. Uh, no passing. I was like, those shots, they may go in in the first quarter, but they're not going to fall in the fourth, not with any consistency, especially over the course of an 82-game season. So you factor in poor shot selection on Portland's end, terrible defense on the other end, and timely turnovers. Portland likes to go in these these ruts where they turn the ball over three, four times in a row. They did it against the Bucks. They did it against the Pacers. They did it against the Grizzlies, and they all resulted in losses. Uh, to be honest, Sage, this should have been a 5-0 and road trip. Looking at 
not only looking at the schedule, but looking how they played. They they should have won. They should have won all five games. Um, and it's a one and four week, right? It's a one and four week, and they even started it off with that solid victory in Chicago, which is so I, fresh. I felt I mean, so proud of them for winning that game because I I really thought it was gonna be a, a that was gonna be the blowout of this week because last time we played against Chicago was just such a bad matchup. But I don't know. The, the, this week is just so demoralizing for people. Or, or from at least me as a fan of this team, I'm just expecting losses now. Yeah, you're going into games not really excited to watch them. Uh, it's tough when you know your team's going to give up 30 points in a quarter, and that Chicago game, that's what we did. Like we scored 29 first quarter points, but we gave up 32. Um, Chicago really played well. Dwayne Wade looked vintage. He had 34. Jimmy Butler did what Jimmy Butler does, had 26, 7, and 5. But I thought Portland did a nice job of limiting Jeremy or Jerry and Grant. Uh, he played like absolute dog shit that game. So that was a complete 180 from what he did in Portland. We previewed that episode assuming Rajon Rondo was going to play. Uh, so Portland definitely studied him more. They, they didn't see him coming. Uh, like they did in that first matchup in November, and they limited him. Taj Gibson was limited to just eight points. They really just let those two get theirs. But I think as is the evidence, whenever Portland wins, the bench steps up, and you had Alan Crabb. Just, he has been playing very well lately. So I think we could take it easy on AC a bit. Uh, he had 17 points on almost 50% shooting five rebounds, and then you've got Evan Turner, who played one of his, his finer nights, uh, five of six shooting, ten points, dished out four dimes, and had two boards. He They both led that bench charge with 27 points combined. And when you get 27 points combined, and then you go and get 54 from Damon CJ, you're going to have a good night. And they really set the tone for that road trip, and you're thinking, okay, we got one. We were hoping at the very worst two and three, we could probably go three and two. You knew we had the Memphis Grizzlies coming up. They were dinged up. We had already handled the Pacers. The Bucks were hot, but that's definitely a winnable game. You're really only thinking the Clippers is the guaranteed loss. So you're thinking mm-hmm. maybe even four and one at this point. Um, we knew better, but still. So unfortunately, I-, I worked late, didn't get to catch the Bucks game. I ended up rewatching it on Saturday and just another heartbreak type of game where Portland is in it. They take a lot of momentum going into halftime. They were up uh, seven or eight points. And then that third quarter happened, Sage. What, I, I remember even texting you. I looked at the box where I said, what in the hell happened? 34 to 18. And then Portland does their best. They get within two points in the fourth quarter. And then you've got Delavadova hitting these. You want Delavadova shooting these runners. But he's hitting them. And it just doesn't seem like this is our year. I mean, it never was going to be to win a championship, but that magic we had last year, it seems like the basketball gods decided to sprinkle it on another team because that was a game last year where we probably win in March and April. I know we choked away that game last year in Milwaukee when we were up, I think, four or five points with 10 seconds left, and and we just threw it away off an inbounds pass. Uh, So definitely not very good uh, vibes in uh, Milwaukee, but but Sage, why didn't they? They should have won that game. Did you actually think they were going to win that game? Because I, 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 
we made it close. We made it close, and then Delhi just hit those runners. Well, it was hard for me to actually watch the game because, like I said, I was you at work late. Yeah. So I knew the result. So watching the game on replay, when you know the result, is always kind of a difficult thing to do. Um, but what I noticed was our interior defense was completely non-existent. Um, points in the paint were 54 to 32. You were not going to win games getting score outscored in the paint by 22. Um, Jabari Parker went for like 27, right? He had 27, and we gave up the 27 fast break points. So not only are we getting pounded in the paint, we gave them 27 fast break points. They had 81 of their 115 either in the paint or on the break. You throw in 25 free throws, that's 106 of their 115 points. Either free throws, paint, or fast break. I don't know about you, Sage, but I don't think you're winning once out of, even out of 10 times with those type of stats. Uh, we just do not make it difficult for teams. Jabari Parker was just spinning, and there was nobody at the rim waiting for him. Um, we didn't follow Giannis in transition at all. If somebody did miss, he was following it up with a huge putback dunk. I mean, the guy is the Greek freak for a reason. He posted a, a triple-double. He had a 15 points, 11 assists, 12 rebounds. Um, like you mentioned, Jabari, the 27 points, but what I really thought killed us. Greg Monroe, uh, crap, that rookie that I like. So there was two things. Delavadova cannot have 17 points on only 11 shots, especially those six buckets straight. Uh, that really killed us. But then you have three, only three Milwaukee players scored off the bench, but they combined for 30 bench points. I mean, Greg Monroe looked like Kareem for a few minutes there. And when they're, they're they shot sixty percent off the bench, fourteen of twenty. It just you're not going to win when you let players who have no business beating you. I mean, we look, we made Greg Monroe look like the Greg Monroe of Detroit, of, of the Greg Monroe coming out of Georgetown, that that potential All Star type of Greg Monroe. He is buried on their bench. He does not play a lot of minutes. He does. I, I think that was a little bit of a. Hey Neil, look what you can have if you give us something for Greg Monroe type of. I think that was, that was more a showcase. of a. Hey, you're gonna put Myers on us. Uh, I'm gonna go to work on you. <laughs> and then uh, my dude Malcolm. Uh, fuck, what's his last Malcolm name? Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Three of three from downtown. Mm-hmm. My God. And played good defense. I think he got he, a few steals. He had two steals, and again, you're looking at Damon CJ combining for 53 points, but. When you give up 115, you cannot outscore everybody. And I believe it was from Jason Quick that Maurice Harkless told, it was after one of the heartbreaking losses. They're piling up so much right now that I can't even keep them straight. He said to him a couple of things. One, we have to start realizing that we cannot outscore these guys. Um, That's a red flag to me. I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but that opens, that sheds a little bit of light into the mentality of the Blazers had coming into the season that they thought they were so good offensively they didn't really have to play any defense. And two, when Jason asked him about the team improving their defense early on in that homestand, he said, you know, we really weren't doing anything different. We were just playing teams who weren't very good on offense. And that's true. We played the Pacers without C.J. Miles and Paul George and the Miami Heat who are without uh, Justice Winslow 
and Dion Waiters and, and Dion Waiters and Dwayne Wade left him in the offseason. Um, so I, I appreciate the honesty. I completely agree. I didn't think we were getting any better. It was just nice to see us beat the teams we should beat, but it kind of opened your eyes to, you know, what is wrong? I, I think that that's the question everybody's asking themselves here in Rip City, and I don't think there's one answer. I don't think there's one player to blame, uh, one coach or one GM. I think it's a lot of these little things that they're adding up, and you've got yourself a mediocre basketball team. Um, I, I don't think it really gets, you know, this to me is going to be the low point of the season. Um I'm trying to think. Is there a NBA team with a worse defensive front court than ours? With Mace, Myers, Ed Davis is okay. And I'm not even going to say Noah Vonley is in that rotation. So it's those three in Aminu. Is there a team with worse defenders? I mean, Brooklyn's the one that pops in my mind because they've got uh, Brooke Lopez. But they're, I mean, it could be Brooklyn. Brooklyn is. But they're the they worst get, defensive team in the league. Yeah, they give up the But they're supposed to be bad. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> we had hype. We had, we had so much hype coming in. And then to come out and be arguably the second worst defensive big team. And I feel like we just funnel. The, the, the scheme is to funnel it all in the middle where we can, te- can contest. But our bigs are literally one of the worst two in the league at defending. It's just. The scheme's bad for the players, and the players are bad for the scheme, and it doesn't make sense that we're we're forcing them into our defensive weakness. And maybe if we play Noah Vonley a few minutes, we might play better. But it's still the core of our de- uh, of our front court just atrocious at defense. I mean, Al Jefferson, Greg Monroe, who else? Do we Marcus Ol. Marcus Ol. Marcus hold 36 on us. Didn't Clint Capella and, get busy too? And before we we move on, I, I've been needing to say this. I think we need to drop the narrative that Myers Leonard, and this is not to hate on Myers. This is not to talk any noise, but last season he played a fantastic defensive game against Boogie Cousins. Completely rattled him. It was when Sacramento was making a playoff push. We were trying to get above 500 for the first time in, in ages, and he completely shut him down. He started to get a reputation for being able to defend these traditional big centers that we were like, yes, this is a Myers matchup. I think we need to take that rep away because in games this year, Boogie's gotten busy. Marc Gasol's gotten busy. Um, he's a big body, but he's... He's still a couple of years away, I think, from being that that rep that we gave him. I think he's a couple of years away from actually locking people down in the post because he has the athleticism, he has the length. I think he still needs to refine his post defense, and that that comes with not biting on that pump fake. That Al Jefferson pump fake I referenced earlier in this podcast, Myers was the recipient of that. He jumped out of his Nikes, and Al Jefferson got that and won. Um, and again. I don't blame Myers 100%, especially with he and Vonley being shifted in and out of the rotation. I think Stotts really needs to pick one and just stick with it. But on the other hand, this is his fifth year. He is getting consistent minutes this year. If he is going to be a shooter and a big man defender, he really needs to start excelling in those roles because it's been five years. Uh, The clock 
at a certain point has to start ticking on whether Myers is going to be able uh, to figure it out because the other narrative that, that he's a shooter, I don't know if I'm buying anymore. He, he's shooting 36.7% from the field and 31.2% from three of any of all years where he's actually attempted uh, a regular amount of threes. This is by far his worst season. And I don't know if it has to do with the shoulder, if he's still working it back. A lot of people have said it can take up to a full year to recover. So that's something to still keep an eye on, but he does get very open looks and for him to shoot just 31% from three is, is pretty disheartening. And he's also a player that if he gets on a roll, you feed him, you want him to shoot as many times down the court, but also he can take himself out of the games. Um, so it's just something that I've been thinking about. Um, I want Myers to succeed. I don't think he's the reason we're bad. I, I, I don't like having anybody on the team as a scapegoat, but Noah Vonley is a much better perimeter defender. I think he's a better rebounder. He's overall more athletic. He's only in his third year, and he's probably uh, two to three years younger. I'd like to see him start to get those consistent minutes that Myers was getting. And, and we saw a little bit of that tonight from Terry, letting him play more down the stretch against the Los Angeles Clippers. But, I mean, to, to talk about the, the defense, I think Myers would be fantastic if it was just some beastly big guy. Like, um, who's the dude in New York with the huge beard? Kyle O'Quinn? Yeah. I think that the players we mentioned earlier are are supremely skilled offensive players. I think Myers would be great just wrestling Kyle O'Quinn for rebounds. But did we sign Myers $10 million a year to wrestle Kyle O'Quinn? No. When we've already played the Knicks and we've lost to them? Yeah. It, it, but there are – I think it's it, he's good for wrestling and frustrating unskilled big men. Like – but the, the in today's NBA, unskilled big men do not have a, a role in the league. That's why they're a dying breed. I'm just trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate here because I, I'm seeing Myers's, Myers Leonard's skill set shrinking. And if what you're saying is true, that, that diminishes it even more so. So how does he fit in long term? I mean, we've got the December 15th deadline coming I don't think up he where, does. where players can be moved. I don't think he does either. And... Um, Again, this is not trying to be anti-Myers, just kind of pointing out what what I've noticed over these first 26 games because he has been relatively healthy. Uh, he did have that shoulder. I, I just haven't seen I've, – I've seen flashes, but he still, has, he still has not played to the level he did in that 2015 series against Memphis. I mean, he's on a second contract. <laughs> the flashes – you can't be a young potential player forever. Eventually, he's going to have to show an ounce of consistency more than... If he shows consistency in 20 games, I'm shocked. So... I, I think his future is going to be to be filler in a trade. And then so disappoint mom, another fan base. My mom texted me during the game, and she wanted to know... And she's usually not one to talk about trades. She loves all of the guys. Ugh. Loving all the guys is what I... Well. Hey, don't make fun of my mom. <laughs> hey, I, that's the same noise I, I make when I hear about babies. It's it's just things I don't like right now. But she's like, hey, who are some players we could trade? I'm like, whoa, okay. So I said Mason Plumley, 
Alan Crabb, and Myers Leonard. Am I wrong? I think I know. I know it, Crabb I, might be tough to move due to his contract. Yeah. But. I. I have a trade that I know you're gonna hate, but I hope Rip City will be all right. Please don't be Rashad Holmes. No, 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 no. It's gonna piss you off way more than Rashad Holmes. <laughs> I made sure that this is a feasible trade with. All right, what do you think we need the most? Defensive just spit, rebounding. Just spit it out. Just okay. Out. I, I mean, you're already grumpy. This is going to make you way more grumpy. I think that we need a center that can play defense and rebound. This is going to piss you off so bad. Oh, <laughs> I think we talked to New Orleans about Omer Oshik. Oh, get the fuck out of here, Sage. He's got hands of stone. I would be yelling at him at every single position. Is, that, is, is hands of stone much worse than playing zero defense and zero rebounds? I'd rather watch Mason Plumley. Really? Man, I, I... Mason Plumley balled the fuck out tonight. Yeah, you but know, he still for, was a... For the, as much shit as I give Mason Plumley, for as much shit as I give Mason Plumley, I can recognize when he balls the fuck out. And he had 18 points... Seven rebounds, six assists, five blocks, and one steal. He is one of three players to have uh, 15 points, uh, five boards, five assists, and five blocks in a game this year. The other two, Giannis and Kevin Durant. But so, that's his best match. That's the best matchup that he has. It's not. He did not have a good series. Or actually, he played, like, yeah, they're the great no, shut up. You're right. You're right. It's a, it's a long night, Sage. God damn it. It's 11.13 p.m. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take all the wins that I can potentially get. So, but back to Mace, like, I am still objective enough that even though he's not my favorite Blazer, I think we should move him because he's a restricted free agent. I can recognize when he plays well. Omer Ashik has never put up a number or a stat line like that. Absolutely not, but he gets he is rebounds. He's not a good player. Oh, I, I, au contraire, mon frere. Last year, I completely, I think with me bitching about Omer Ashik forever, you have a bad feeling about him, but he would fix a lot of things for on our team. Defense and rebounding. That's the things we bitch about constantly. Moving on, moving on, moving on. Nobody wants to hear us bitch about two shitty teams trading for two, two, two regular out-of-the-rotation players. Um, so to recap the week, Portland started off fantastically, avenging a loss against Chicago, uh, 112 to 110, uh, Heartbreak City the next four nights, uh, a 115-107 loss to Milwaukee, followed it up with a two-point loss to the Grizzlies, 88-86, in which Portland held a 13-point lead with about five minutes to go before they found no answer for Marc Gasol and his 36 points. Fun fact, Blazer killer Troy Daniels hit that go-ahead three. We remember him from Game 3 of the 2014 uh, NBA playoffs with the Rockets. If we didn't think it could get any worse, the Indiana Pacers erased a 20-point second-quarter lead, and they eventually ran away with a 118-111 victory um, in Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And lastly, to round out the road trip and to cap Portland's fourth straight loss, the Trailblazers lost to the Clippers by a single point, 121-120. to Sage, let's dive into the Clipper game the most. Uh, I think we've already talked about the heartbreak that was the other three losses in this four-game streak, but... While I said there was no such thing as a good loss, you do have to feel somewhat better about how the Trailblazers performed, especially after 
especially coming against a team that's really had their number this year. Um, if we remember correctly, the last time Portland was in Los Angeles to face the Clippers, it was the day after Election Day, and we lost 111-80. to At one point, it was an 82 or an 84-42 to game. They had doubled us up in the third quarter. Uh, easily the, one of the most embarrassing performances I can remember a Trailblazers team um, taking on probably since a couple games before we fired Nate in the lockout season when we were just getting trashed by the Knicks um, by like 50 points. And we also played the uh, the Clippers the second game of the season, dropping a 114-106 contest. That was when the refs really let shit go in that fourth quarter. And uh, we kind of saw the same shit happen again. To be honest, this could be 2-1 in favor of the Blazers this season. As it stands in the record books, it goes 3-0 to the Clippers. They have that that tiebreaker should it come down to such dealings. But I really thought the turning point in this game was when we were up probably three points and JJ Redick got, or actually Portland, CJ McCollum or Evan Turner got called for a phantom foul on JJ Redick shooting three. Stotts could not resist his anger, ended up getting a tee. It was a four point play. So it felt like we were fighting from behind all the way through. Fast forward a couple minutes, you have Mason Plumley driving to the hole, getting hit, but because his follow-through um, hit Blake Griffin in the face, they gave him a technical, which I have personally, in my 27 years of watching basketball, have never seen before. So I thought that was a little outrageous that the Clippers were essentially awarded a, a free point. You look again in the fourth quarter, Blake Griffin's following up a, a fast break, touches the rim with his left hand to get a little bit of leverage. That should have been offensive goaltending. All in all, they awarded the Clippers seven points. And before you say you're wearing you know, black and red glasses, I completely understand the Clippers' frustration on the first inbounds pass. CJ was holding the hell. That was, a, that was an atrociously bad missed call. So we should have not got the ball there. But it was also a really bad pass, too. That should have been a bounce pass by Wesley And also, Johnson. have some fucking dignity, Blake Griffin. He, I was actually shocked that he didn't get more fouls drawn on him. Because... I have found a way to make my TV only produce basketball noise. So dribbling and the shots hitting the rim. So I have no like context of what is being said anymore. So when he flops all over the place, I was like, no foul. Wow. No foul. Because honestly, if it was any other ref game and it was Blake Griffin fucking flopping everywhere, I would have assumed he would have been at the line ten times but I don't think he was at the line more than four. So that the free throws were pretty evenly. The Clippers shot an astounding 26 of 28. Portland was equally as impressive. 22 of 25 um, from the line. What really killed Portland was giving up eight free throws to JJ fucking Redick and five free throws to Jamal Cropper jump shooters who barely get touched but they flop like a fish out of water and the referees buy it. And to be honest, it's poor basketball. I don't like watching it. The Clippers are the, the Clippers are my least favorite team to watch the Blazers play against because you know you're going to have to fight through bullshit the entire night. And that's not how the game should be played. That They whine, they cry. Blake Griffin acts like he he's hit and nobody touches him. And you just lose a lot of respect for players and teams like that. And that's a reason, frankly, that that franchise has never even tasted the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I I mean, I know you were way more upset about that loss, but I think just because of the 
no audio for me. It was just like, all right, that was a missed call. That was a missed call. I mean, it was a it was a bad loss, but there were plays where we should. The technical killed us. The foul on JJ Redick before the inbound pass killed that, us. That has got to stop. Portland needs to quit shooting themselves in the foot on these inbounds passes. I believe it happened in Indiana. We had the five second out of bounds call. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was against Indiana. I mean, I think you're down three points, and you have you just can't do that. That's and, a that's a, like a three or a five point swing with that mistake. And then you see CJ grabbing. You cannot do that. Like, as soon as he did that, I was like, game over. They're going to inbound it again to JJ, and he's going to make it. And we were down one at the time. Um, and if he I didn't think, do that, and Dame hits that three, OT. Also, I mean, also I mean, if if Stotts doesn't get that technical, Dame's three ties the game, and you're not even trying. To, so it's it's like a chain reaction. One event obviously leads to a lot of other things happening. And it just didn't go Portland's way. And it seems like that's kind of been the story for the Trailblazers this year. But you have to applaud them. I thought they, they played a good game. They actually got four out of six shooting from Aminu. Um, Ed Davis was just nails at the line, seven of eight. Uh, you get 18, 28 points off the bench from Alan Crabb and Evan Turner, who shot a very respectable 12 of 21 from the field. And... Again, you get 49 from Damon CJ plus Plumley's amazing night. On most nights, that's good enough. And it really should have been tonight. I think we made some bonehead plays in the third quarter. Um, just got a, a raw deal on a couple of the fouls. But that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. And the Blazers just right now are trying to find the rhythm. I think they're trying anything to get a spark going. And... They're not out of the woodworks yet, Sage. We talked about this being the toughest stretch of the season with uh, eight of their their nine on the road. Well, they've already had five. They come home for a game tomorrow night. So not only is there their one home game out of the stretch on the second night of a back-to-back, they're facing rival – yes, it's a road game, and they're facing the rival Thunder where Russell Westbrook just had a seven-game Triple double streak. I mean, just seven games. The 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 fucker is averaging a triple double, and to be honest, with, with the way these teams are aligned talent wise, he is enough to get the job done. So the Trailblazers have another seven thirty start. Uh, they take on the Oklahoma City Thunder for the first time um, this season. Four matchups. I'll be in attendance. I don't like the matchup for the Blazers. I think the Thunder are huge with Adams and, and Cantor. In fact, the Thunder allow, or excuse me, the Thunder score about 51 points in the paint. That is tops in the league. We know the Trailblazers have problems defending the paint. Did you see the Victor Oladipo injury? What happened? Is he going to be playing tomorrow? Bro, I thought he was. I thought. Um, he was closing out on a shot on Jonas Jerebko on in the three in the right corner. He jumps way too high. His foot nicks Jonas Jerebko, and he falls directly on his back. So I seriously doubt he's playing. Because he was on the ground. I thought he was fucked up. Like, I thought he fucked up his back. And he got up after five minutes looking like, he just dropped 10 feet straight onto his back. So I think 
what the injury they're saying is his wrist, but homie just landed straight on his back off a 10-foot fall onto hardwood. So who starts if he's not able to go? Anthony Morrow. Which probably does not benefit the Blazers because oh, he's Ol- the one shooter on the team. Oladipo is a player like Rondo who you could kind of let roam and, and hope to beat you. But as I was mentioning, Thunder get about 51 points in the paint, tops the NBA. Portland allows 45.3, 26th in the NBA. Portland coming off the second night of a back-to-back, four-game losing streak. Really four heartbreaking losses. And it just feels like a recipe for disaster. Westbrook is averaging... Thirty ten and ten, I think. Thirty one point one points per game, eleven assists and ten point nine rebounds per game. He's not even close to giving up that triple double. We're twenty six games through the season, and the dude has a solid triple double. Like it would take a lot of games with under ten boards for him to start coming down. It's ridiculous how good he is. And if you're Portland, who do you defend him with? You obviously got to go Harkless, yeah. Yeah, and then just put Dame on Amo. And then CJ can go up against Andre Robertson? Yeah. That's what I would go with. Yeah. I mean, all Amo is going to do is roam around the perimeter and try and find a spot-up three. And Witchy's very good at those spot-up threes. So it's not like we can just leave him like Roberson. So we saw Terry Stotts actually adjust in the Clipper game and send a couple people at Chris Paul. We have to double and trap Russ. We cannot let him beat us single-handedly, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think he would average 15 assists if his teammates could actually drill open threes. But I think if you're Portland, you have to take the approach that the Clippers did last playoffs and say, we are going to bet that Al Farouk Aminu cannot beat us from downtown. Portland has to bet that Andre Robertson is not going to beat them from downtown. Whoever is his man needs to play essentially four on five and just double and trap the hell out of that team. I know we are tired, but we still have a lot of depth. We need to use that depth if we're going to play some trapping defense. I think this could be a great game for Vonley, especially going up against the undersized Sabonis, um, to, to flex his defensive muscles and really get after it on the glass because this game is going to be one inside, especially with Russell Westbrook, who gets points in the paint like none other. Um, let me look up his stats really quick. You feeling good about this game, Sage? Absolutely not. I think we lose pretty badly. I think that the injury to Victor is way detrimental to us. Because it puts one more shooter on the floor for them in the starting lineup when Russ is fresh. I've got a weird feeling we're going to pull this game out. I know it's a terrible matchup. I, I think that Russ will go for 40, and I think Dame will go for 50. I, I, I think where we have the advantage is the small forward. I think Harkless is going to be able to neutralize Westbrook in the most... Westbrook way possible he's still gonna put up good numbers I I think I don't think we're gonna see him get like 40 20 and 20 but I think he's gonna get his but as long as Roberson doesn't get hot from three I really think we're gonna try to make those other players beat us and if we come with that defensive mentality and we make them work on defense because Adams is a very good defender down low but once Cantor goes in the game 
even with Sabonis, that paint's open. And you can do your own damage down there. Oklahoma City's not going to set the world on fire defensively either. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma City, they'll give up points. They're about middle throw. They're where we were last year. They're 17th. They give up 104.3 points per game. Um, I think Portland is, is going to cherish this one home game. They're close. They can taste a win. And to be honest, they need this win because they've got three more coming up on the road. And you do not want to go into Denver riding a six or excuse me, a five game losing streak because if you lose there, you're sure as shit going to lose in Golden State to make it six or to make it seven. Uh, they have to win this game. I'm not calling it a must game because it's not playoff d- deciding, but for all intended purposes, for the sake of the fan base, for the sake of this team, we we have to win this game. And I think we're going to play with that urgency. I think you're going to see some of that magic. We played pretty well at home as of late. Um, I think the Blazers get it done. I don't think they're going to have an answer for Dame or CJ. They may be able to guard one of them, but Anthony Morrow... He doesn't give I don't a shit see about defense. Honestly, Russell Westbrook doesn't give a shit about defense either. You'll and see him. Decide he's to like put Roberson on Dame or CJ. Portland has shown that if you're going to put a smaller guard on Mo Harkos to do that, he'll beat we'll him just up. go inside to Mo. Mm-hmm. What's your X factor? I think it's going to be. You know what? I think it's containing everybody else. I think you let Russ get his 30 or however many he does, but you can't let him kick it out to open shooters. You can't let him kick it to Steven Adams after a, a, a penetration or Kobe assist. I don't let's box our let's box. OKC out. Yep. My X factor is that hustle board. So you look at rebounds, steals and blocks in Portland's ahead at the end of the night, especially at home. I think they get the job done. And I think they take that momentum into Denver for the third matchup this year. This is the final time we play in the Mile High City. The first time Portland pulled out that miracle victory in overtime with that Damian Lillard floater over Kenneth Reed. He had 37 on the night. Uh, Portland won 115 to 113 in overtime. We follow that up uh, probably two weeks later on the 13th of November with a 112-105 victory again. Uh, it was Lillard leading the way with 32 points. But if we all remember correctly, Denver held a 17-point lead in the second quarter. Kenneth, and Kenneth Fareed, Fareed yeah. went off in that first quarter. He played so strong, and he was dunking on everybody. He played mad. I mean, he played angry. And Portland finally woke up. And you can do that against certain teams. Denver is one of them. But you cannot do that in the Pepsi Center because that's always been a tough place for Portland to win. So this game, to me, is really going to depend on Portland's psyche, on their mindset. Are they coming off of a win, or are they trying to scrap after another loss? I think this game's going to be much easier for them if they actually get, just get some good vibes going. Okay, we got to win. That streak is to an end. Like, let's try to get this victory before Golden State, because we know Golden State's going to be a 1-10 in 10 chance at best at winning. The Nuggets game, even though it's in Denver, I think is the easiest of the three, and that's still a tough call this week. Sage, I think my biggest X factor going into this game, it's not for Reed. What Jokic are we going to see? Is it going to be the one that had 17 boards and 20-plus points in the first matchup, or is it going to be the one that pretty much got skunked and was a complete non-factor 
in that second matchup on the 13th of November. Are the Nuggets still bringing him off the bench? I believe so. I think Wilson Chandler's been playing probably the best ball of his career right now, and he's he's been a game time decision the last few games. And Jamal Murray has been balling. Um, and they've been playing pretty smart with uh, Jameer Nelson's been starting the last few games. So if you remember, the offense for Denver was running way more smoothly with Jameer Nelson running the show than Emmanuel Moutier. So it's going to be a very interesting game to see how we can defend Jokic if he goes off, defend Jamal Murray, Wilson Chandler. They have this is not going to be an easy game for us to win, but I think it's our win, most winnable game this this slate of this week. And I think the player to watch, obviously Kenneth Freed, is going to be at the top of all uh, Trailblazers fans' minds. But I think the reason we had a slightly easier game against the Nuggets the second time around is we really limited uh, Nurkic. He was just a man child down low. However, he was limited to 3 of 11 shooting, 8 points, and 9 rebounds. Yes, he put up those numbers in 19 minutes, but they had to go small to match up with our, with, our, um, with our lineup. So that's always nice when you get the opponent to play to your pace and to your level and to your size. And I think that starts out early. If we can get Denver to go small, so that means we have to rebound early on and really neutralize Nurkic got to keep him off the glass he is such a big young body who I would love to have on the trailblazers but it's going to take boxing out by Plumlee um it's going to take boxing out by Ed Davis or Alfred Camino whoever draws that assignment on Kenneth Reed because 18 and 14 with three blocks and 28 minutes he he was all over the court like we said during that last performance and then, you, like you said, Jamal Murray, he was he was just starting to heat up in that first matchup against the yeah, Blazers. Yeah, he, he he didn't he had he hadn't made a basket in seven his first seven games. Now he's looking like what you and I thought he was gonna be. You know, he had nineteen points on twelve shots. I mean, I know he had a couple buckets in garbage time, but the dude reminds me a lot of CJ McCollum coming out of college. He just gets buckets. Like that's his initiative. That's what he strives to do. That's what he achieves. He gets buckets, and Portland's perimeter defense isn't the best in the world, so if he gets loose, Portland could have a long night in Denver, but I still feel pretty good about this one. We've already beat them twice. I I don't see why we shouldn't beat them once more as long as we come out and rebound. I think defensive rebounding is going to be the key. We cannot give the Nuggets multiple chances at home to get that crowd energized We've just got to get stops, and we got to get on the break and run. They love giving the basketball away. They love it. They're a young team. They don't know any better. When they turn turn it over, and they will turn it over, we have to be running in our lanes. I've seen this team bump into each other so much on the fast break. Let's just keep contain on fast breaks and score easy buckets. You mentioned them turning the ball over. They're 27th in the league and taking care of the Rock. They turn it over 16.6 times per night. This is a time when Portland can get a little aggressive with their defense and try to force the action. Denver will cough it up, but you got to kind of you know nudge them in that right direction. And we have athletes, we have length, and we have youth, and we have size. 
let's get out, like you said, on the break. Let's run. Let's make life easier for us. We don't always have to try and score out of the half half court. I think if we can... Where do we rank in the fast break points? We got to be bottom, bottom 10, right? Surprisingly, the Trailblazers are exactly middle of the road. We get 13.3 fast break points per night. 15th. Wow. I'm shocked. Do you think it would be beneficial for us to slow the pace a little bit so we can be more concise with our offense? In Denver or overall? Overall, as like a team. I just checked on my phone. They're eighth in pace of play. Do you think if we slowed the game down, made it a little more dirty, less possessions, and we could actually run a decent offense, do you think it would be more beneficial? Because there's a lot of quick buckets. On time and possession and, and opponent, there are opponents you want to get out and run like Memphis. You want to uh, pick the pace up against the Warriors. You probably want to muddy it up a bit. So I think there's always a time and place for that. I think we can push the ball up, but it also comes with a, ca- a caveat that the Trailblazers must take care of the ball and make good decisions. I've seen this too many times, and it happened in the Clipper game tonight where we got a rebound and we tried to get out so quick that we we threw the ball out of bounds. Or do you remember that, uh, oh shit, where Myers got the rebound instead of passing it to Damian Lillard, he double-dribbled? Like, those type of plays. So, your X factor, I'm assuming, is pace of play. You want to see us slow it down in Denver? Uh, Uh, No, I just thought it was interesting that we were a little, that our pace of play was so quick. I think that with how quick our offense is at times, it may be more beneficial to just run something instead of a, a quick pick and then a shot once you get past the 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 pick man. But I, I agree, but to play devil's advocate, we have no low post offense. So you kind of have to take the first decent shot you get because even in Terry Stott's flow offense, you're just not going to get wide open looks on a consistent basis. We see a lot of times where that bogs down and Mason Plumley is just kind of left out there to dry dribble in the basketball. And I've seen too many possessions end with him trying to shoot skyhooks over DeAndre Jordan. Um, I do think we shoot the ball too quick sometimes, but other times I can't really say I blame them just because of the lack of a low post offense. Now, if we had DeMarcus Cousins, I would probably be a little more adamant to your point about pace that we should slow it down and really throw it into him and let the offense run through a big. I think that's how basketball has been played in the past. And, teams with the great bigs do that it's what memphis does um but until we get that we probably need to get up and get out and honestly if our defense wasn't the third worst in the entire nba we probably wouldn't be having this conversation like if our defense would just get a few more stops we would be cool with some of the shots we're taking it's the fact that we have to play damn near perfect on offense to win a game that yeah, we're you, like, we have to value the possession so much more highly that's that's a perfect point that you made and that's something that i was going to bring to this podcast that just slipped my mind portland is not valuing their possessions at all this season they're not treating it like a playoff game so when you hear players talk about the playoffs and they say literally every possession matters and we have to treat the ball like it's the you know you're down one at the fourth quarter and you've got the final possession I've seen so much sloppy play with p- players trying to thread, you know, non-existent needles through through defenders. Um, we've talked about that play where we just threw it out of bounds. Myers double dribbled. Um, there have been plays where 
Dame just pulls up from 30 feet. Uh, Mason Plumley gets four to five shots a night that shouldn't even be going up. Uh, there was a play tonight where Dame had five seconds on the shot clock, decided to pass it to Mason Plumley, ended up being a shot clock violation because it got blocked by DeAndre. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have a turnover. Like, turnovers just never exist, but... I haven't seen Portland just value that possession and treat it like it really does matter because I think if we took a little more care of the basketball and we stopped going through these lulls, yes, we're a bad defensive basketball team, but when you turn the ball over and you don't get really good shots on a consistent basis, your defensive woes really become even more transparent and people can, it really affects that game even more. I just think we need to start treating these games like, they mean more than just the regular season because when you're slightly less talented than the Blazers, you have to make up for it with your intangibles. And I just don't think we're we're doing that right now. Um, But to get back kind of on topic about the Denver Nuggets, I think my my X factor is going to be the second chance points. Denver is the second best team in the NBA at, at, you know, getting second opportunities. We mentioned keeping them off of the offensive glass. So the Blazers need a defensive rebound. Well, the Nuggets get about 16 points just off of second chance points. Um, we we have to limit those 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 second opportunities. Portland is going back out on the road. They're still going to be tired. Uh, make no mistakes about it. This Oklahoma City game at home is still a road trip because they are they're probably not even going to unpack. To be perfectly honest, so they they packed for nine games on the road and it's a grind. I know we're going to see the payoff come in, in the spring when we get those twelve home games, but but Sage for those games to really even matter. You still, you got to win some games now because we are just, I mean, I don't know any other way to sugarcoat it, but we're a really shitty road team. We're now five and 10 on the road. We were doing pretty good early on, but going two and eight in in our last uh, 10 road games, I mean, we were three and two. I mean, I know that's a very small sample size, but to go from three and two to five and 10, definitely not a trend you want to see. And I think we need to pick up this win against the Nuggets. I think we will. I think it's going to be a big Blazer backcourt night. Uh, Dame and CJ are going to combine for 60-plus, in my opinion. What say you, Sage? I think that we need to box out, and we need to limit Jokic, Wilson Chandler, and Jamal Murray. If we do that, we win. I think we win, but it's a very it's a squeaker. We win on, like, oh, yeah. it's the last-minute decisions by both coaches. Yeah, there are never any and it's blowout the, victories against the Denver Nuggets in Denver. They just, they're non-existent. And, I mean, it's mile high. The altitude's thinner. And one team's used to it, one team isn't. I feel like Denver's pace should be the number one team, especially at home, since they're used to it. But, whatever. Um, yeah, I think we win, but it's going to be a squeaker. Moving on, Portland gets the defending Western Conference champion Golden State Warriors for the second time this season. The first matchup did not treat Rip City uh, too well, to say the least. Golden State came into Portland and really hammered us uh, 127-104 all the way back on Tuesday, November 1st. This will be Portland's third game of the week and second-to-last game on the road. The Warriors have been prone to slipping against teams they have overlooked. Um, They got throttled in Memphis. 
this past Saturday, 110 to 89. That game was never close. I remember seeing that score at halftime, seeing the Grizzlies were up 23 and figured, eh, the Warriors are going to come back. No deficits too, too small for them or too big, however you want to look at that. And they didn't do it. Memphis really took it to them, played amazing defense. Uh, I believe this is the only time all year, the second time all season, they were held under 100 points. Uh, first time they were held under 90 points. So th- that's going to be the mark all year. Nobody is going to hold the Warriors under 89 points the rest of the year. So you got to tip your hat once again to the Memphis Grizzlies for they, playing they that way. They close out so fucking hard on every possession. I wish we got, had 30% of their desire to close out. It feels like it's going to be a tough matchup, Sage. I don't think they're going to overlook us because even if we're playing poor, um, I think Dame said something about their defense early on in the end of the year and Draymond responded like, I think their defense is fine. I think it's just like they're being leaks in their defense. Um, I, shit, I fucking said that. that was, you did. Yeah, that They it, were not a good team when they beat the shit out of us. They are a very ha- good team now. And we had that playoff matchup last year, so they remember us. Yeah, it's, um, it's not like we're some bummy team that they can't don't remember. We were in the playoffs with them a few months ago. So I really believe the Warriors will win this game. My hope is that nothing just historical happens. I, if Clay Thompson went for sixty points in thirty minutes against the Blazers, I'd have to mail it in. Like I, I couldn't take that. That was ridiculous. That he had sixty points against the Pacers on Monday, December 5th, in 30 minutes. He legitimately had a shot at Wilt. Like, the only... Kobe went hot at the end. He had a half a basketball left, essentially, if he would have played from start to finish. I mean, he didn't play the entire fourth quarter. So, at the very least, he could have surpassed Kobe's 81, and I think he would have on that night. That just goes to show you that he is their third best player. That's how just fucking Arguably fourth. That's how fucking deep they are um, with star potential and star star talent. And I really don't look forward to these Blazer Warrior games. I hope they get over as fast as possible and we can just make it competitive. Um, if we win, I'll be the happiest Blazer fan in the world. If we lose, uh, it's kind of to be expected. I know that's kind of a shitty way to go into a game. But when we knew the Warriors stacked the deck in their favor this year by going out and adding Kevin Durant's, we knew these four games were coming on the schedule. There's nothing you can do but kind of just take your medicine and look forward to the next game. But the Warriors have been vulnerable, as we mentioned. They did lose at home for the second time in a double overtime thriller against the Houston Rockets. It can be done. The Blazers must not get into a three-point shooting contest, Sage. I beg of them. We talked about this on the first matchup. To beat the Warriors, you have to live in the paint. And I think if they can get into early foul trouble, if they can shoot 35-plus free throws, um, probably score 50 in the paint. Like We don't want to shoot a lot of threes this game. This is a game you want to slow down a bit. You mentioned your pace. We want to limit the Warriors' opportunities. You've got to box out. They have got to just not. They, they really have to limit the second-chance opportunities for the Warriors because Stopping them one time down the floor is a daunting enough task alone, giving them second and third opportunities. And also it takes a little bit of luck. You have to hope that one of Durant, Curry, and Clay is just completely ice cold. And then the other two could get 30. That, that's probably fine because their bench isn't super deep. And then speaking of their bench, for the love of God, 
can we not let Ian Clark score like 20 points on us for once? Like, he has turned into the new Blazer killer, I swear. Oh, man. I, if you're not taking your shot saying the Blazers are going to win, I just have no, I have no faith in them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I remember so clearly that uh, Evan and I just ridiculed you so much that, that game. If you're not taking your shot, I, I'm not gonna say any hot takes for this. Just don't, just don't, just don't give up sixty to a single player. I... Yeah, my my goal, my goal, don't give up ten plus threes to Steph. Don't give up sixty to Clay. Limit the Warriors to under 130, and don't lose by more than 15 points. Fair. Oh, that sounds pretty doable. What's the next game on the slate? I mean, that that's it. That's it for the week. Oh, all right. Even on Monday? Yep. Okay. We don't play... Oh. No, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, it's, it's very late, and I'm looking at the Warriors schedule right now. <laughs> no, we actually get a couple of days off. We don't play the Kings until Tuesday. Oh, cool. So pretty odd to get two days off in the Bay Area, but I'm sure the team will take it. And, of course, the next game back is against Dallas, and it is on the second night of a back-to-back, so we're kind of getting boned every time we return home. And just to round out the schedule so all of our fans are aware, Oklahoma City at home, back out on the road for four against Denver, Golden State, Sacramento. Return home on the second night of a back-to-back against uh, the, the Western Conference worst Dallas Mavericks. But then you've got the San Antonio Spurs, who are unbelievable on the road, one of the Eastern Conference uh, most imp- not improved. One of the Eastern Conference's most difficult teams to play, the Toronto Raptors, the Kings again, and then you finish off 2016 in San Antonio. December is the month from hell. We keep saying Sage that the team needs to just tread water and, and stay afloat. My dude, they gotta they gotta go two and three this week to start staying afloat because you start going one and two, even zero oh and three. You're looking at at worst, five games under 500, and that's when you really start feeling the pressure because maybe the eighth seed's still there, but we all know nobody in Rip City wants the eighth seed, uh, especially after the way last season ended. And we all want them to win. It's not like we're rooting for losses. We're just trying to look at the bright side. Hey, if we're losing, we might as well get a good draft pick in what is supposed to be a really good 2017 draft class. So... Those are the hot takes from Dustin and Sage this this evening. Wait, it the, is... the, there's been there's been a thing floating around Rip City where do you think Terry Stotts can lead us to a championship? No, I don't either. But I was fine with that even when we re-signed him because we had won 44 games, we had made it to the second round of the playoffs. We were a young team. All of the players raved and loved about him. I was willing to roll the dice that he could at least get us to the conference finals. Um, I don't think he's a championship caliber coach. To be fair, championship caliber coaches are few and very far between. So that is not a knock on Coach Dots. I think we still have a pretty good coach, although I have been a little disappointed with him this season. We gave him C's. I mean... But to, we be gave fair, C's last week. but to be fair, a lot of the players didn't grade better than the C either. So, you know, it takes two to tango. Because I go back to that Mason Plumley example of telling him to guard Mark Gasol in the perimeter. You and I, Popovich, anybody could yell, Mason, go guard Gasol on the perimeter. 
he's still going to go and do what he thought he was supposed to do, and he went down to the paint. So, yes, I know in professional sports, even in college sports, coaches take the brunt of the blame. I guess it comes with the territory. However, I'm not so quick to write off Terry. I think if the team is to turn it around, you keep you keep it going with him. This is still a very young team. It could just be a down year for whatever reason. Maybe missing the playoffs or getting our asses swept by the Warriors in the first round is exactly what this team needs to wake up. And I still think they're kind of sleepwalking. They've shown signs of waking up from that that sleepwalking. But overall, we have not seen that just blazer grit that we saw last season for more than one game at a time. And it's only shown up a handful of times. We really need to see that. We saw a little bit of that fight tonight against the Clippers when, when Evan Turner stood up for Damian I Lord. fucking love that shit, though. I... That was amazing. And I, maybe that's what lights a spark. Uh, that's what kind of lit a spark underneath the Trailblazers in that 2013-2014 season. We had that Andrew Bogut with um, Robin Lopez and Joel Freeland and Mo, Mo, Mo Williams. Um, that happened in the Bay Area. That kind of ignited that winning streak and kind of fueled that fire that led the Blazers to the second round of the playoffs that year. Maybe this kickstarts it, but to be to be fair, I would take two and three. If it kickstarts a two and or excuse me a two and one week. You take it and you run and then you just try to put on that life vest and stay above water until we get into January because it's going to be tough, but there are still some winnable games. And if you can get behind the Rowdy fans and give them something to cheer about, protect your home court, who knows? We could still be in the thick of things as the calendar flips over into 2017 and we can really look at possibly maybe improving this team via trade or just rolling with the guys that we have and just seeing if that chemistry can kind of find its mark again. Because this team has it. We've seen it last year. They're better than last year on paper. They've just got to find it. Uh, Still 56 games left. Still plenty of time. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned. So these next three games, I'm not going to say they're must-wins, but they're pretty much must-wins to get two of the three. Otherwise, you start falling a little bit too far behind. You know, Sage, it is nearing midnight here on the Best Coast. Uh, I think it's time to wrap this one up. It's been a good one filled with a a lot of info. Uh, I still think there's a lot of reasons to be not excited, but to be hopeful for this upcoming slate of games. Uh, And if you want to hear more, want to listen to past episodes, or always be the first to know when we drop a new episode, please subscribe to our, our podcast on iTunes. Uh, at Holy Backboard, give us that five-star rating. We are also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX and on social, Instagram and Twitter, Facebook at Holy Backboard. Sage, it's been real. It's been a tough-ass week to be a Trailblazer fan, but this is what it's all about being a Blazer fan. Nobody said it was easy. Uh, let's just let's show that Rip City resilience. Let's take a couple of wins this week, and it'll be a whole new tone next week when we record, I promise. Let's go!